Disruptors and curious minds, welcome to another episode of Thinking on Paper. My name is Jeremy Gilbertson. I'm a, uh, I don't know what I am today. I'm going to call myself a uh, an insatiable, uh, multidisciplinary, curiosity-driven weirdo. Uh, I'm going to run that today. And uh, Mr. Mark Fielding, how would you describe yourself in a short order? Oh, gosh, I, I can't compare that. I'm, I'm amazing today. And I would describe myself as a, a multidisciplinary and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer. There you go. There you go. There you go. I, the reason why I bring that up, it's, it's um, uh, oh, by the way, we got to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, Thinking on Paper is sponsored by Jeremy and Mark. Um, and, uh, after <laughs> I had a, I had an interesting conversation with myself the other day, um, you know, being an interdisciplinary, uh, person, someone that kind of moves between different fields. And our guest is certainly one of those, those people as well. I, I, I find myself, it's all, it's often difficult to weave yourself into, uh, ecosystems where specialists are the uh, are the prevalent nature and um, I don't know how do you navigate that Mark because you do so many different things what is uh, what's your approach to that I, I think you have to have a, a thick skin because exactly what you said is very difficult to to break into a lot of the worlds where there are specialists I think globally there are more what what, what did you call multi multi specialists but you just I, I, I don't really have an answer to that without I wasn't prepared. So yeah, I don't. I love I, do I love catching you. <laughs> I love catching you off guard, man. All right, so um, so before I know we... the answer. What you do, you throw, you cast your net so wide to, to so many things that eventually, law of averages, you get you get a hook, don't you? There you go. So that sounds like a little bit of maths there, sir, yeah. and that's a great segue uh, into our discussion today that is uh, is partly rooted in mathematics but extends way beyond that in into world building both on the physical side and on the digital side and I'm super fascinated um, with extending the magic of physical experiences into the digital realm and what makes something meaningful and uh, I think we have the right person today to, to, to riff on that a little bit so um, before we introduce our guest I want to also uh, say hello to our brand new audience over at kick Thanks to my friend, uh, Andrew Santa Maria. We, uh, we are now on that platform. I think there might be one or two people at least watching this stream at first. Um, but Mark, why don't you kick off, uh, our, our discussion today and introduce our guests. Yeah. Well, we, we, you started off speaking about being a, a multidisciplinarian. And so I think I, the best way to introduce PK Velasquez, our guest today is to read some of her, her exceptional background. So, Pico Velasquez, welcome. She's a computational architect and multiverse thought leader, and she's presented keynotes on the multiverse and AI at Forbes 3050 Summit, South by Southwest, the Women's Economic Forum, and the Blockchain Futurist Conference. She's given lectures at Harvard, MIT, Columbia, and UCLA. They're American universities. That's your specialized subject. Um, she advises Fortune 500 companies on the metaverse vision and strategy, serves as a mentor for deep tech and Web3 startup incubators, including um, Intel, Harvard, and she's part of the World Economics Forum's Global Future Council. I think there's more, but I think that's enough to give everyone a picture of, I guess. So, yeah, welcome, Pico. Hi, good to see you nice. guys. Thank you yeah. for Welcome. <laughs> and I guess... 
since I put metaverse in the title of this talk, why don't we begin, if I can ask the first question, what do people get wrong or what <laughs> do they continually get wrong? What's the biggest misconception that you see and read every day about the metaverse or virtual worlds? Um, okay, I mean, I think, I think there's, a, there's a lot of them. Um, I would start by thinking that we know what it is. And I think that the first problem is thinking that was something that is like so um, disruptively innovative. Um, you know, we're talking about the, the next version of the internet, if not more than that. Even the fact that we describe it as the next version of the internet is a subset of what it could potentially be. So um, thinking that we know the definition is already, I would say, like the first misconception. Um, the second, just like generalized misconception is that they, people think that it's in VR. Um, and, and there's this like, um, um, understanding that because it's three-dimensional, because we're moving into like more of these, um, you know, three 3D environments or like gaming environments where you have avatars and you have spaces in, it's more of a, a like a social interactive spaces that all of it has to be contained inside of a virtual environment or like all of it has to be contained inside of a in, inside of a headset. And I think uh, the the way the way to to describe it best. Or from from at least like what what I'm seeing as a definition, right? Because again, biased from my own perspective, um, but I would say that content is content, right? So content, um, um, it, whether it's one D, like like uh, I mean, not, not that audio is one D, but we could say that potentially audio is is one D um, to two D to three D to like even multiple senses or like multiple perspectives of of like data layers that can do something that is X D. Um, the content um, can be in multiple dimensions, but the way that you consume it um, can be um, this can be matching those dimensions, or can be even lesser than that, right? So, like, I can watch a, or I can interplay instead of a three D world environment like Roblox or you know like a video game on my screen on two D screen, right? And it doesn't. I mean, it does take away from some of the aspects, but it doesn't um, take away from the content itself. So, I think that. You know, expecting it to all have to fall inside of a 3D environment is also potentially a misconception. One, one quick comment on that, and I think it's a thread we've explored a bunch, is, is the idea of, you know, a phenomenon being emergent and quasi-hierarchical at the same time, right? You know, all mm -hmm. innovation or most really cool innovation comes through careful calculation, but also this serendipitous nature of something just kind of evolving into something amazing. So we have this collected set of tools and ideas and stories and experiences, but then we also have this rigid structure of just how stuff gets organized and invented and scaled and all of that. How are you seeing the balance between emergent and hierarchical as we, as we move into this, this new paradigm? Yeah, I, I think especially the, the way that you describe it makes me think a lot about, I mean, also of your background, right? It's just like all these like natural systems or organic systems. And it's thinking that, um, I mean, especially with things that are creating from, from, from new or that are like highly innovative, because if not, then you can see like a linear progression of how things evolve. Um, you see both the, the structure of what are the tool sets or what are the new technologies, the way that people anticipate it for it to evolve? But then you also have to take into account that each group, each person, each company is going to interpret those tools in a different manner, right? And, and that's just the first step, right? It's like you, you have a set of tools, 
Um, and if it were to just use those tools as they are, then it's almost like creating a, a straight line. I'm going to describe it almost like if it was a, like a branching system, like a tree. Um, but because there's going to be, let's say, two companies or multiple end companies that come up or individuals, right? It doesn't have to be companies that come up with a different version of it, right? Then that becomes the first branch. But then also from those branches, then there's some companies or some individuals that come in and take that information and then, you know, turn that into something new. And then you can imagine that they also combine with each other. Right. So the the, um, the I guess like the, the plentitude of, of options that, that can come from like the multiple iterations or the, the multiple um, ways in which we can mix um, some of this information, I think, is is the is the most interesting part, um, and especially now in nowadays, right? Because the so part of the the evolution of our technologies has also allowed for the everyday user. Um, I mean, like like myself. I mean, I'm, I would consider myself both like a professional at this point, but also like an everyday user. Um, but also just like um, kids, you know, that haven't even started their careers to play a role into shaping these spaces inside of spaces like um, Minecraft or Roblox, et cetera. So we've gone from a system that, um, you know, the tools have been always created by companies to now that the tools can be created by users as well. And I think there's something like very beautiful and kind of like symbiotic of that process um, because it's no longer just like one directional, like the tools are, or the technology is made here and then everyone else is a consumer, but it's more like the consumer also becomes a creator and then it's like this feedback loop um, that's going to end up creating something that we could have never imagined because there's too many minds, too many perspectives that are coming together to build it. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those. It's how do we how do we balance our innate need to organize stuff? Like humans mm. love to organize things, and and you know sometimes we got to just leave it alone uh, and let it go. Like um, what what are what are some of the what are some of the cool uh, who's who's leaving it alone out there? Who's leaving it alone and 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 resisting the need to organize in in really cool ways? I think open source companies in general tend to leave things alone um, because they're you know they they put out it's almost like a seed system. They put out the seed. And then they see, um, you know, what ends up coming from it. Um, I guess the, the the problem with that is that then then coming to terms of like how to monetize it or in some way how to control the IP, et cetera, becomes a little bit more complex. And and that's where like those two systems still don't know how to work together, which is like giving the user freedom, but then having uh, all the typical like you know operation, organization, um, legal structure that is also attached to it. Um, I mean, that, that is a way in which blockchain could actually play a role, right? Like a combination of blockchain and AI, where you have like as the system or as the context adapts or like the output adapts, then the the the, the legal and operational framework and, you know, and financial framework kind of like adapt with it. Um, but as of now, like, you know, we have like a rigid system that has to fit into something that is growing organically. So it's like every time that it grows too much, we're like, okay, let's kind of shape it again into another system. And then... Yeah, that's a, that's the compelling thing that I think about from a from a blockchain perspective is that it, it's an interesting economic engine to consider when you have something that that can that you're wanting to build with multiple creators, multiple people feeding the system, and then when the output changes, it automatically is kind of pushed out, and it's automatically everyone gets their piece and part and all of that, right? Yeah. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, the the whole bi-directional or the osmetic system that we have, I, I I I see how that can be a positive for in the worlds, in the virtual worlds. I, I know you, your background is in architecture, and how how does that 
sharing of creation work on a larger scale when you're building these worlds does that does the same dynamic can the same dynamic work there um i think so and and i I think it's it's also about um i mean i i would say that the the closest version to that is already what's happening inside of um um, those social virtual platforms like minecraft and and roblox and now that epic games you know fortnite also opened up to be um uh, a pre-world, <laughs> not only a shooter game, then you're going to start seeing the same. But it's essentially that, you know, you, you have like a, whether it's a, it's a set of sandboxes or it's a set of spaces that are limited or not limited, um, and then you give some tools and it's like, these are your building blocks, um, building blocks in terms of geometry, but in, also in terms of interactions and gaming, um, um, I guess like g- gaming tools, etc. And people just start combining them in new ways. It's like the, the virtual Lego, right? The virtual Lego that you can do with the whole world at the same time and also sell them and create like a, an interesting um, creator economy online. So there's, I think that's that, that's something that in, in, a, in a big way, like it already works, right? Um, which is that, you know, user, user-generated content um, can build out like these sub-worlds that can be um, completely... Um, you know, sustainable and the ones that don't survive just don't have an audience and nobody sees them and that's okay too. Um, Versus um, going into like the initial metaverse sales that were like very uh, based on uh, virtual land and the selling of virtual plots and everything being subdivided just like it was in the physical land and kind of like limiting people to to that virtual environment. Um, I think it's it's interesting to think of both, right? Um, Because each of them have their pros and cons. Um, in, In a space that is too big, um, then how do you find things, right? And is there like a, yeah, like you said, like these are higher degrees, is there a prevalence of like, what are the things that are seen the most or like how how do things, um, I guess like how, how do these virtual environments adapt um, so that you get to see more or what you're interested in, I think is, is, is one of the, the questions that we should ask ourselves because if everyone's gonna be creating in them, then, you know, just like the internet, like where's the Google that kind of like gives you like, whether it's a search engine or like an algorithm um, to to um, um, to recommend you um, what are the things that you should look at the most, but like from this infinite set of websites or, or virtual world sites, um, how, how do you get to the right ones? Um, and then inside of each of those, are they also like, you know, infinite subworlds? And and I think that's also like the categorization of the layers of like, we don't have to see everything in the same space, but you know, in one space, what do you see and does that connect to another space and to another space? So you're not actually like being overwhelmed with all the content that can exist simultaneously in one in, in one single location. Yeah, and I, yeah. and I think what and I and I think while we wait to like figure that out and, and experiment because it's all test and iteration, I think we've got some time because the tech hasn't quite gotten there where we could all be in the same spot all at once in real time and all of that. It's like it's limited to a certain amount and geography based and all of that. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to I want to uh, tie back in your 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 uh, what you studied, how you applied what you studied, and how you kind of moved into this world. Because to me, geometry is like a, a framework or a way of making sense of the physical world, right? In the means to like how that converts into how we measure and quantify things, and it moves into more of the calculus realm, right? But like from from a geometry base and your history in geometry and how you apply that to physical spaces, how does that rule set 
translate into the digital realm? Is it very similar or are you finding some, some interesting differences? Yeah, so, so maybe I'll start giving a, a little bit more of, of a, I wouldn't say like my full background, but at least like what are the things that, like what, what are the tool sets that I use to express myself or to create inside of these worlds or, or, in, in, um, or in the physical world as well as my career has kind of spanned between both. Um, but I, I started um, studying architecture as a, as, a, as a base, but I plugged in a lot of different careers in between as well. So uh, pure mathematics was one of them. Um, digital art was one of them as well. Um, I mean, sculpture, um, civil engineering, I did at some point too, because my dad's a civil engineer. Um, and, and I've been dancing. Hello, I think Pico's dropped out. Oh, she might have been, she's caught up in the multiverse. Uh, we'll, we'll wait till she gets back here in a sec. Um, I, had this, I had the same question as you about how the the principles of kind of physical architecture transform into virtual worlds. And I'll ask Pico this, when, when I spoke to her the last time, we were, we were speaking about how kind of the culture has to lead the architecture. And then, so for example, if you're building a virtual university, you have to decide and define what, exists in the physical university what parts of that do you want to take into the virtual university so like the the social spaces like the the cultural norms before a class after a class like how the actual cultural human experience of doing something transfers into the virtual world and kind of how much how much you have to take out and how much you have to put in and how different it is the, yeah, absolutely. And thing that the, one of the things that fascinates me about this extension of experiences into digital domains is, you know, how we experience reality right now as you know, physical reality. And yeah. you know, a lot of people would argue that it that is it is a conjured version of it due to our brains. Brains are this you know sense making engine that you know collect sight, sound. Um, you know, smell, taste, all of that, and try and stitch together, oh, yeah, this is what this looks like. But the, the interesting thing about it is where humans, where their attention is activated, it's through change, right? So if I'm looking straight ahead and I'm looking at something that doesn't move, a scene that doesn't move, and then in the side, in the background, like right here, something moves, I'm going to go, ooh, what was well, that? That's right? exactly what just happened. That's why I suddenly did that, yes. It, exactly, exactly. So like you start thinking about like how much of those principles um, extend into the physical or the digital space with how much power is change, right? Um, driving an experience. So here's actually, let's see, I think Pico jumped back in. Let's see if she's here. Well, a lot of that is about how do we take our senses into the virtual world? Since we're so governed by our senses, how we experience and how we live in a physical experience is all governed by our senses. Then we have to take those senses into the, into the virtual world, I guess, well then, and then if, if things, and we're going to, we're going like super deep on this as, as we wait for our wonderful guest to come back, but like our senses kind of test to see if our perception is on the right track. Right. So, um, you know, 
but but what we experience from a sense perspective is limited. You can't hear anything yeah. below 20 hertz. You can't hear anything above 20 hertz. You can't see what a gamma ray looks like with your naked eye, right? But it's still there. We just we just don't have the tools to perceive it. Um, so let's see if we're oh there we go. Yeah, How's it going? <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, power outrage like here in Tulum kind of like wipes the whole city and you just remember what it's like to be only in nature. You're like, oh, <laughs> I'm disconnected from the world again. <laughs> and the, whole, the whole internet is just cut out. <laughs> yeah. And no, not, not only the internet, but also cell service. It's, it's all connected. So, yeah. But when that happens and sometimes it lasts hours, you're just like, hey, this is... And here we are talking about the virtual future when we can't even in the, in the present day have a an internet connection. Maybe maybe the the car has got away from the horse. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it, I think it's important to to sometimes remind ourselves, like, yeah, like uh, the, the the power of that connectivity, right? Of like, you know, we we have you know we have the world in our in our hands like the connection to the world in our hands and uh, to a certain degree like a lot of people i mean especially the newer generations like grew up um thinking that that's the status quo and forgetting that there was a time where you would feel just like an individual being in a planet <laughs> you could only interact with what was next to you <laughs> and now we can interact with anything that we choose and you know so like yeah, space space is no longer a constraint. But yeah, I I, um, I, I kind of jumped in when you guys were talking about senses, um, and that's a topic that, that I really love as well. For I mean, for, for a lot of reasons. I mean, Jeremy, as, as you were saying, like the the, the range of like the spectrum at which um, humans can you know perceive light or like even understand um, um, the and that's speaking about light, right? With sound as well, right? With any with any of our senses, like the, the, there's a we're range terrible. We're what, terrible what, at everything. What, what we what we comprehend, um, but but I don't, I don't think it's that we're terrible. I think I think it's that we we have a a balance of everything, right? Um, because there there's a lot of species that you know have no sight, but then they have more you know they have more sound or 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 like dogs, for example, right? Less sight and more 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 smell. Like they 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 have, they build their their. their the spatial understanding of the world is from the sense of smell more than it is of sight. Ours is mostly based on sight, and then the second one is acoustic, right? And then everything like you know, um, uh, taste and touch is is very is very personal, right? Like in the sense that it's it's a the rate the degree, the radius around us that we can perceive that is very small because it has to be directly connected to us, and and taste has to be directly inside of us, right? Um, but sight, I mean, we can see so far and and. And the hearing as well so it's like it, it's almost like realizing that like the, the world is like all this like a uh, um multi-level frequency and we we are perceiving or each species gets to perceive what it needs to to survive and what it you know what, what, what it needs to like to make sense of of, of its environment or of this well that, that's that's biologically that's what it's all rooted in right this this yeah. survival instinct of like i need to hear the twigs snapping behind me if i'm facing this way to make sure a tiger's not ready to take me out right yeah. so and a lot not of in the that, virtual not in the virtual world the virtual tiger, yeah, they're called hackers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the virtual tiger. I mean, like the, 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 it, it's a good question. You mentioned it earlier about um, different species, and uh, diff- you can almost compare like the next generation as a different species to us and how their senses react to virtual worlds. And 
if we yeah. don't have any use of touch and we don't have any use of taste in these virtual worlds, how are, and I know you've worked on some very big projects, like how are the thinking about this in building these virtual worlds today? Where's the, where are the decisions being made and how are they being taken? Yeah, in, in, terms, of, in, in terms of current projects, um, we're still here. Don't worry. Oh, Jeremy's Jeremy's <laughs> it's one of those moments. It's one of those moments. The camera's on you. Oh, I feel alone. <laughs> we're with you. We're here. Well, learning a virtual world, that's quite like quite apt. Yeah, yeah. It's like now the whole world disappears so that your perception of the space is that you are alone with your actually. Yeah. Um, but um, so wait, what, what were you saying again? I kind of got distracted thinking that I had logged off accidentally. Um, uh, about kind of like generational gaps and how the big brands are thinking um, about building senses into yeah. these virtual worlds that they're yeah. building at the moment. So, so from from my experience, I think most people are not thinking about that yet as much. And, and and the reason for this is that you you always have like a gap between like what the market is ready for versus you know the the research tools and what is happening like let's say in the lab. So it's like there there are a lot of cool stuff happening with haptics, right? Which is like our interpretation of touch inside of the virtual space um, that you know will be transferred in some point, whether it's uh you know um, very specific um, locations like maybe location based entertainment, you know like where you have like VR headsets inside of a mall or something like that. And then they also give you a Tesla suit or, you know, individuals that are like highly active gamers that want to have those suits on their own. Um, but for the masses, um, that's something that hasn't been developed. Right. And because it just hasn't reached the, the, the price point to be, to be accessible. I mean, the same happens with VR, right? Like VR being so cool. Um, it's still like the price points and, and the quality of continents kind of like chicken egg thing um, hasn't uh, reached the mass market. So most people are, for now, thinking about the metaverse being more of a, of a shared or like a social video game. And that's kind of like where the space is now in terms of like how it's being produced. But but I think what, what's super interesting to to realize, like you said, about like the new generation of, of uh, or like the digital generation is thinking that um, senses are um, in a way like our interpretation of, of of this reality, right? So it's like not only like how we make sense of the space, but also how we interpret um, the information that it has, right? So it's like when you taste something, it's literally the information that the fruit or that you know or whatever it is that you're eating has on the on the species, on the quality, on its ripeness, on you know, it's like all, all these different things that it's trying to that it's communicating for for you to understand if it's edible or not, if you like it or not, kind of like get a sense of like the nutritional value, etc. So it's like um, you know, the things that 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 are more citrusy tend to have vitamin C. Like there's there's all these different um, components that are, are linked to to the taste and to, to the smell of, of all the things that we eat. And I mean, in the same acoustically, right? Of like changing the different frequencies also gives you a sense of um, you know what are the different species that that are producing the sounds or if not species, like even an earthquake, right? So like normally the larger the animal or the larger um, the, the, the body that is creating um, that, that is creating the noise has a lower frequency. And then the smaller the, the chirper, the chirper is like like little little bees or or, or, or wasps um, or birds. Um, but but I think what's super interesting uh, thinking about that is that when we go inside of a digital space, um, what are the like the senses that are obviously translatable? We know like sight and sound, right? Um, I think it's super interesting to think about spatial sound in a different way. So uh, let me let me put it this way: I think that 
we have our senses that already exist that can be translated um, directly, like one-on-one, -on -one, but I think that each of those can be extended to like higher dimensions or different versions that cannot exist in the physical world just because the virtual world can actually allow it. And then there's another part, which is like the senses that don't exist. Um, what information are they providing and how can we interpret that data into something else, into a new language that we understand inside of the digital realm? And I think eventually it's also like, inside of this digital realm, what other types of senses that are only digital senses can be created. And, and this, this is a part, I mean, thinking like a little bit more futuristic as well, like inside of these spaces, um, how are we gonna communicate? Because that we're communicating right now continues to be very typical way that it's like between a chat and between, you know, it has to do with distance, but also has to do with maybe like, like a chat that you have and maybe like some labels of what you're talking, you know, like a little chat box on top of your head. So it's kind of like a video games meets, um, you know, iMessage or something like that, which, which I think is like the, you know, the, the primary part of how you, you, you talk. And then maybe there's also like a radius of sound, right? Where it's like when you enter my bubble, of, you know, my, my, my sphere, my sound sphere, then you can hear my sound and then it dampens out at different distances. And, and I think that all of these things can work in small environments, but eventually there's also going to be, you know, um, like, a, like like what happens at larger environments, how, um, you know, not only an individual, but like how a society communicates or like how a community communicates or how different worlds or how different groups communicate. And I think it's also like understanding that like in physical life, um, we do communicate like this one on one because we, I mean, unless you're like, you know, in a, in a concert giving like a megaphone speech, um, the, the relationship that we have um, with the person we're speaking to is this. Um, but there's something really interesting about thinking that in a virtual world, you're not only in the city and with your peers, but you can also be above it. You know, you could also be flying. You can also scale it out. You can scale it in. You can see things at so many different levels that we don't see reality, right? Because we're consistently the same proportion to our environments. And, and changing those scales means that there's got to be more information that we're not seeing. It can't just be exactly the same information that is being zoomed out. But what, what is the levels of information that can be mapped out or can be, you know, communicated at, at these different scales? Yeah, I I totally unpack agree. That, Jeremy. Say, what's that? <laughs> unpack that. I mean, oh, um, the idea of digital senses, like it, it's brilliant because there's no need to replicate what we are in the physical in the in the digital, is there? So. Yeah, one thing too, quick shout out to Thrive Fighter in the chat. Our senses can be fooled quite easily, no doubt. If anyone's seen that uh that how many passes of the basketball can you count uh experiment where the gorilla the guy in the gorilla suit like goes across gorilla, yeah. and it's like, did anyone see the gorilla? No, I was too busy counting the basketball. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's also due to attention, right? And Mark and I were talking earlier that human attention, because there's so much coming at us and our brains are doing it, our best job to try and stitch it all together into whatever experience, whether physical or digital. They're, they're, once something changes, like our attention goes to change. That's why stories work, right? Stories are, are these ability for, for change to be thrown at us and then, and then digging into that change. But um, how, how, do, how do, do you have a design criteria framework for digital experiences? Like, do you have a, a set of pillars that you lean on? Mm, a design criteria framework. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, so the, there's um, in, in terms of, of pillars, let's say, um, the, the main pillars that I have, and it's not only in terms of design, but more about like, uh, I mean, in terms of design, but I, what I mean is not in terms of only architectural design, but like the design of all the experience itself. Uh, but the pillars are experience, um, commerce, um, community, 
and impact. Those are, those are the ones that, that I mostly use in all of our projects. And it's thinking that what one part is the, the experience itself, and, and all of these can be unwrapped in multiple layers, especially the one of experience, right? Because when you talk about the, the virtual experience, um, one thing is like the architectural environment that you're in, right? Then it's like, and, and those things tend to be static for now, but we can talk about later about like what, what is the difference between being physical and virtual and then the potential for dynamics and then like adaptable spaces, et cetera, especially with AI. And I think that that's a topic that we'll, we'll definitely go in deep, but let's pretend that for now, your virtual spaces as they are now, um, buildings are, cities are static, right? So you enter inside of the spaces, you can move around, right? Then you also have like a layer of interactive or dynamic elements. And those can be um, things that um, are either in in like single place, right? They're 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 placed in places, but that come to be or that interact in certain ways depending on people's um, you know uh, reactions and, and behaviors. Um, but there's also the the interactivity of just like um, you know dynamic elements. So like it can be other characters, or it can be animals, or it could be um, I mean even even people in the audiences also um, become part of the game or part of the world as a character, um, as an individual or as a, or, or as a whole. And and then and then you have like what is the story? What do they communicate? Right. So it's like the narrative piece. Um, and what else? Yeah. And then and then and then and then the senses or the expressions, right? Like what happens when you know when when you're moving inside of a space? Like what what are the different ways that the that the space kind of like evolves um, to your reaction? And I think um, gaming does this better than than. Um, than, than what we're calling metaverses right now. I think metaverses are kind of stuck in the idea that it's it's a plot and it's like a full replica of physical world. It's like you go inside of some of these spaces and it's like it's a casino and it looks just like a casino. And you're like, what are you supposed to do here? Like sit down and play. Lose your like, money. Yeah. So it's like yeah. So it's it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny how the translation has been like very very direct for now. But but that's just how it works too, right? Um, every time that there's a new medium and and I, I talk about this a lot, um, especially. Um, when, when it comes to like, um, how do we create like new new structures of narrative or, or, or multi-dimensional spaces is that when we're going from one medium to another, um, the, the, the most immediate or the, the simplest way to go to cross over is to take the content that you have from the previous one into the new one. So it's yeah. like um, when when films started, the first thing they were filming was uh, you know podcasters or like two people um, with microphones in the, in, a, in a single in a single room with a single perspective, right? And then it was like okay, you know, film can be more interesting than just like showing you what's on the radio, you know. But we can go into you know multiple environments. We can shoot the same scene from multiple cameras and show them at the same time. Or, whatever it is um and then in vr the first thing that people would do was create you know almost like you know these these 2d sets um but in the, in the 3d environments where you're like always looking at something instead of like being inside of it instead of being surrounded by it and, and i think that's that's essentially like also the, the the evolution that has to happen in the creation of content or the creation of these experiences and it's like evaluating like what what are, what are the different levels of things that want to be communicated and, and what are the different ways that those things can, can be communicated? And then in terms of commerce, uh, I mean, it's kind of also pretty straightforward right now in terms of like you, 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 can, you can buy digital assets, you, you know, whether you call them NFTs or, you know, centralized, decentralized, whatever the case. But there's like, um, you know, these, these different um, same physical, um, the same way as physical retail works, that's being embedded inside of these spaces as well. But I think that the more interesting part comes, and this is more specifically to Web3, um, is, is thinking about royalties and all um, these different structures 
um, that really um, combine the fact that there, there, there isn't just like a single owner or like a single passover of a digital asset, but the person who created it um, plays a role continuously um, in, you know, in the, in the royalty system of, of a digital asset that, that they built. And, and potentially as, as, the, as the space continues to evolve, um, we won't have just like single assets that are passed on, but those assets could also be modified, right? So like, could I have my version of this asset and, and therefore um, the original owner is this one, but I am a co-owner to a certain degree. And then if someone else takes that over and use that as a base and modifies it, you know, or iterates on it, then they're also a co-owner of their version. And then you have almost like this 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 chain of, uh, of, of co-ownership um, that, that I think is also interesting to, to see how that could become into into a new type of like whether you call it licensing or not, but like a, like that, more that, they're doing that quest of evolution. That they're doing that exactly what you just described. That they're doing that with stories, with okay. IP story yeah. IPs called quest of evolution. Like they're nice. the, the first creator creates something, they pass it on. The next person changes it, modifies it. They they get a part of the IP in the royalties, and it passes on. Um, sorry, I've interrupted. You said the fourth pillar was impact. Um, yeah. What, what um, do you mean by impact? Uh, well, in in, um, in in what we're building, like I really like to tie like um, physical, social, and environmental impact into all the projects that we work in. So it's like thinking that um, we're not just building a virtual environment as a you know completely disassociated or completely parallel universe in which you enter as a game, but it's like. Whether it's the message or whether it is that there's like an activity that comes out of it um, is linked to some physical effort that actually helps the, the, the world. So a lot of the projects that, that we do, um, I mean, from, um, you know, plant a virtual tree, it gets planted in real life um, to collect a fish, it, it donates money to to clean uh, plastic in the oceans or, or so, something of that sort that has like a both like an educational, but like a, a more like a... Um, world responsibility value um, to these worlds to like remember that these can be linked in in ways that is more productive than just entertainment. I've always thought too, Pico, that um, that bridges between what's happening digitally and physically are super important to make any yeah. kind of like collective experience powerful. And like when you're saying tree gets translated into a physical tree like planted and all of that. I mean that's that's cool to me. I, I've always I've always thought that that is one of the ways that we make all of this, it's extensions. It's not, uh, yeah. hey, we're going to build a new planet over here. You guys have no idea about the rules of physics. Uh, we don't know how to interact yet, but just jump in and we'll figure it out, right? Like we gotta, we gotta find those little bridges, don't we? Yeah, and I think that there's there's going to be all the versions of that, right? You know, the physical world on its own, the physical that translates into the virtual, then the the virtual that is an extension of the physical, and then the virtual that is just like virtual, an extension of the physical, the virtual to the, until eventually it's just on its own, right? But but I think that's um, um yeah, it's 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 a complex system, right? It's like trying to to imagine all the internet in one space and mapping it out. And, and realizing that you know there's there's a bit of everything everywhere, so um, yeah, I think that's that's going to be super interesting. Yeah. Mark hinted Mark hinted on brands a little bit ago, and I know you've done done some work with some with some big brands, and uh, I always think back to um, you know what what game developers thought as soon as oh it's metaverse we're doing this metaverse thing, 
And these game developers are like, we've been building that kind of stuff for years. And then they're talking about, oh, we're going to have interoperable assets. And then game developers are like, if you knew anything about rigging and how systems work, you're off. So anyway, like what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is understanding all of the different aspects of this. Are brands now, and this is a theory that I have, are brands now looking at building a digital environment as like, man, this isn't working because – we thought it was just build it and then get out of the way, but you have to program it. You have to give life to it. You have to do it as if it is like a store down the road that you're trying to activate, right? Like it takes a little more energy than just pushing it out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so, so that, that goes back to like, um, you know, how I mean, there's 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 two topics. It's like two underlying topics. I would say, like one is. Um, what, what, is, what is the purpose of brands, right? So like, what, what does a brand represent um, beyond its products? Um, because like, do we actually need virtual shoes? No, but what does it mean to create an identity with virtual shoes? Um, but also like, what else does that brand represent beyond shoes? It represents a community and ethos, like all these different things, like, you know, go Supreme or go Nike. It's not about the shoes itself. It's about like the community that it brings together or the staple in terms of like what people um, consider it in the, in the in the world of like trends or a generational identity. Um, but for for what it is as a as like coming into a new space, um, brands yes are used to flyer. You know they, we build the product. You know we we build the campaign. We shout it out to the world. You know, it goes in that direction only, and then the world eventually comes back and buys something. Um, and then I think that social media has also already been kind of like a disruptor in that space because it's like, okay, um, brands not only are just pushing out content, but they're realizing that the users of their content are pushing out content too, right? So it becomes a, a little, a little bit more integrated that you don't only have like it just the people that are you know modeling your product curated by you but you have the entire world that cares about your product also selling it to the extent that you know that that, that they showcase it in their mediums uh, whether whether it's intentional or not right because in a way like we're all brands so like what you wear is already you know you're showcasing it to the world whether you're whether you're getting a cut out of it or not um so i think that what's happening now is that web3 especially um came in with um um, with I would say more than the concept, it's an ethos, right? About about like a, about about sharing and and about like equal distribution and, and about like a, a more uh, progressive, inclusive way of of building communities and therefore supporting products. And it's that it's not just about um, buying things; it's it's about you being an investor in this world, right? So it's like when you buy a Nike issue. Um, you're not just like buying a product, you're investing in this product to continue to build a computer, to continue to build their products and then come back to you. So um, the whole concept about, about NFTs is that you buy an NFT and now you're part of this community and that community supports the, you know, the, the, the company or the brand to continue creating things that will feed back to you. Um, it's very difficult to sustain, of course, and that's why you know it goes ups and downs, and especially if it's not linked to like anything physical that we already attain certain value to. Um, you know, prices can go from like a virtual shoe can be a thousand dollars, and the next day is two dollars, right? Um, because there's nothing, there's nothing to like you know create kind of like a baseline for for the economics of it. Um, but 
I think that there's there's something in between, right? Which is that um, in inside of these virtual spaces, um, you you are in a way like have the possibility of not just like only having the same shoe that everyone has, but you have the possibility of maybe having your version of that shoe, right? So it's like, what is my identity? Like, what is the Pico style or what is the Pico brand or, or, or the non-brand that I have and therefore everything that I own kind of has like a twist to it. And we can only do this virtually, right? Because physically the manufacturing of that would be incredibly expensive and, and, and timely, right? Um, there's no time for everyone to have like a custom car, custom everything, right? Um, but but in the virtual world, you can, right? So, so how interesting is it to think that it doesn't have to be like as um, like either monochromatic? Like the other day, I was just like not not complaining, but just like um, um, just observing of like how boring is it that all car colors fall within like the gamut of like maximum six colors, right? And it's like, I mean. Sure, like it would be kind of maybe distracting for traffic if everyone had like you know polka dots and Barbie and like all these different things like all over the place. Like that that is very true. Like it, it's kind of helpful um, for for the safety of drivers to have something that is like plain and boring and not distracting. And maybe that's why you know it's very rare to see like very. And it's not just the color; it's the shape as well. There's only six yeah. shapes. There's six yeah. shapes and six yeah, colors, it, and, and it, they're it, all it, the same. And it's for, for manufacturing, right? It's just like the for, for, for cost and for and for the optimization of the production line. Um, but but in the virtual space that doesn't exist. So I think it's super interesting to think that um, the way that brands are also coming into to play is that they're they're they have like the let's say like the like like we're talking about the lexicon, but like with like the, the taxonomy or or the or the language of what the brand is, but then the user can have their their, you know, their iteration of that. So it becomes almost like a co-creation. So it's it's not only like in, you know, like in Instagram and YouTube where you take a product and now it's the same product, but it's inside my world and I'll showcase to my people, but now it's my product showcased in my world, um, showcased to my people. So every time it becomes a little bit more more personalized, which I, which I think is super interesting. And it gives it, uh, and just to conclude, it, and it gives a really interesting feedback loop too, right? Because if the brand starts seeing what the users are creating, what they're interested in, that also feeds back into like what they want to produce and what they want to design as well. Hundred percent, like the participatory aspect of of you know participating with a brand, giving feedback to a brand. This like this channel that goes back and forth is is really really cool and fun because we all want to be part of something. And I always thought like something super courageous for a new brand to do would be to open source their identity, right? And then yeah. have that kind of co-owned by the like really and truly co-owned by the yeah. community. I haven't seen yeah. it yet. Um, pretty scary. But I have one follow-up question going back to how brands, um, you know, kind of uh, measure success in in a digital experience. And are you are you finding any correlation between brands that assign operational budget and staff to kind of keeping the experience going? having more success than those that are just building and kind of hoping it works? Well, I mean, yes, um, like absolutely. Uh, I think that the problem with that is that those operational costs is something that isn't originally budgeted inside of like the, you know, the, the marketing um, expenses for, for brands, right? So like most of these projects, like from a brand perspective, come out of the marketing budget and, and it's, um, and and I, and I think that, I mean, it, it should come out of two different places. It could also be product, I think, 
um, because you're starting to build virtual products too. Um, but it's such a new vertical, right? That the easiest way to understand it is that, you know, instead of going to social media, now we're going inside of these virtual worlds. And, you know, this is where our audience is. And if our audience is here, then let's build something, you know, in, in that environment. Um, but it, it is expensive to, to maintain. I mean, video games are companies, you know, they're not, they're, they're, you know, there, there isn't like, I mean, yes, there are like multiple uh, or companies that have multiple video games, but it, it, on its own, you know, they each have to continue with, with, all the, with all the work of, you know, keeping it alive from producing uh, new characters, new scripts. Um, you know, it's, it's not just about like operationally being there. It's not like an application. It's like the world has to evolve and it has to be updated with certain frequency for the story to be alive, right? And I think that, I mean, unless brands like partner with video games and create a game themselves, which is also very difficult to maintain because it's like, there's, you're looking at also like the intersection of two audiences. One, which is a, what the brand does, whether that's, um, you know, fashion or furniture, let's say, like what if Ikea had a game, um, but like whatever the brand does, um, but also the, the gaming world, right? So it's not that, if, 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 have, if the churn rate on gaming is, you know, already like, a, like a, a problematic thing where it's like difficult to keep users there, imagine if it's also narrowed down to the fact that it's associated with a single brand. So what works more is, you know, instead of building your own game, um, you know, you go inside of these, you know, inhabited worlds, but keeping it alive um, may be a pain. So let's do a short experience and, you know, do it for a week or do it for a month or whatever it is, but it becomes a campaign more than a world itself. And I think that's something where um, in, in, in the vision that I have, of course, it's more about this world because I think about brands as these ecosystems, right? Where it's like, you know, the brand is not just only the product, but it's it's really like the whole thing that represents it can also includes talks and, you know, and, and, sh and shows or like, you know, whether it's like a fashion show or, you know, or a product show, et cetera. But it, it's a place that can also be educational. It can talk about like, you know, from, from the history of the brand to like uh, the, the different people that have come to represent it at different times to like being able to break out the products and like see them in ways that you wouldn't before. Like, you know, could you expand the car and see something cool from it? Could you also, you know, build new versions of it? I think there's so much that can be done, but but that in itself is, is a whole ordeal. And I think if you start the brand thinking that way, um, then you are kind of like building a brand for the for the digital era. Um, but taking existing brands into this space, um, they, they do it in, in ways that are like risk averse, first of all, <laughs> because they're they're not gonna you know um, blow. Uh, not, not, it's, it's it's less about the money. It's more about the reputation, right? Um, because you know they they could blow. I mean, whether it's two hundred grand or a couple million on on, on just like building a world. Um, but if it doesn't succeed. Then you know, then the, the the damage is larger. It's 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 larger for for, for their for their fans. So um so yeah so so everyone you know is dipping their toes in and and trying to see what is the safest way to do it and what is the the way where um what is the way that could be more economically viable in the future. And I think one thing that is missing is for them to kind of like shift the perspective that it's not about economical viability and it's more about providing value. And it's like, what value are you providing to the users? Um, because if it's just an experience for the sake of selling something in the same way that we continue to use brands today, um, then I think inside of the virtual space, um, you know, it, it holds less ground. And if we're thinking instead of like, what is the value that this brand 
brings to a certain community inside of virtual realm, then you're starting to create new products um, that you know that, that are associated more to these mediums, which I think is definitely the way to go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot, a lot of um, meaningless brand metaverse experiences out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Pico, this you know, in the interest of time, we 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 try to wrap this up in about you know forty five minutes. I would love to keep diving down the rabbit hole because your experience and just your uh, philosophy on a lot of this stuff is is really fascinating and very aligned in in, in how I think about it. Um, one one last question from my perspective, and then you know, Mark. Mark might have one as well. If we think, if, if brands think about this in a relatable way, like, you know, when I hear, like when you hear a new piece of music, the first thing you normally do is like, Oh, that's really cool. It sounds like this, right? You, you always want to relate it to something that is known, right? So brands are known for like, they're, they're building, you know, their audience, they're building reach, they're, you know, they have their own KPIs and that sort of thing. If they think about it, c- couldn't these be extended into just another another medium like we're talking about, right? If we think about it from marketing first principles almost. No, absolutely. I, I, think, I think it definitely can. It's just that you would need different talent to manage it. And then inside of, especially inside of big companies, except Nike and except, I mean, there are certain exceptions or like very, you know, pushing forward and all of this. Um, you know, they, they did so good from, you know, from, from their, from their early acquisitions um, to the way that they're, you know, launching products and really linking it to the, you know, to the um, digital marketing that they have right now as well. So like they're cohesively bringing together the virtual worlds with what they're doing in their, in the digital marketing and therefore other physical spaces too. Um, but I think the, 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 the major thing is that, when, when you're gonna start a new vertical from scratch inside of a very big company, it, it takes a lot of decision-making to, to actually, um, you know, end up like um, um, making the, you know, making the jump of having an entire team having to operate a new world where you don't know if it's gonna be successful or not. So the first thing that you do is like, okay, no, we're just gonna have like, you know, people that inside the group that can come up with an idea, we'll have a lot of different advisors, consultants, we'll, you know, we'll have some contractors or like an agency that builds it out. So it continues with the same kind of model that exists right now. And then the agencies are the ones that develop it. And the agencies, you know, are not video games and it's not a license, it's a it's an agency, so it ends up being something that's short. And I think that's definitely something that is gonna change. Um, but there, you know, all of these are just like incremental changes, right? And it's like you know, there's big changes and incremental changes, and, and eventually it'll it'll shape itself. But it's going to be shaped by how by how people and how users react to them. And um, you know, because it, it's the it's the audience that ends up shaping, not not the not the brands. So um, I think that that's something that we'll see more the more that these spaces become more active. Um, because as of now, um, you know, metaverses are not active, or like what we call the metaverses are not active. Um, they're ghost towns. Um, for different reasons, and then we can definitely speak speak to that as well. But but it comes down to the point of like content, right? It's the same as VR. It's like if, okay, great that you have the technology, great that you have the space. But if there's no content inside, then what are we gonna do in here? Just like walk around and look at the same space. Um, so you know, people go in, their attention span is short. There isn't enough good content. User generated content is not that viable because the tools are not there for it, and so they just leave. Um, and then the worlds that have succeeded um, very well, like the ones that we're mentioning right now, like the Fortnite, Roblox, etc., which are 
totally exploding at this moment. Like, literally, if you haven't invested in them, <laughs> not investment advice, but yes, ideas. Um, those companies, I mean, just like NVIDIA, like, are about to, to explode even more with, with what's coming. Because they're, they're opening up to go beyond the existing demographic um, to, to being more like a more, more mass market. Um, you know, for different reasons, because it's no longer just about the game, um, but now it's becoming like this entire like ecosystem, you know, retail being a big part of it as well. Um, like I think education is also going to be a, a big, big, big part of it too. Yeah, ro- like you said, Roblox moving more into the 17 plus realm, and then you've got Fortnite <laughs> and Epic kind of taking this islands model and really incentivizing experiences that are more perpetual or long-standing so how many return visitors do you have how many new are you converting to the site it's really it's really going to be an interesting spot to keep an eye on that's that's for sure mark any closing thoughts on your side um just on, on your point about open sourcing brands i mean to a more or lesser degree that's happening in in nft land isn't it i mean a lot of some of these nft brands that's again to a more or lesser degree that's what they're experimenting with um we'll see how that works out i won't ask another question i'm just going to leave with what i'm going to think about going out of this and we spoke about bridges and bridges you can go both ways on a bridge and you mentioned nvidia at the end there and i've been doing a bit about digital twins and how these nvidia especially is making manufacturing millions and billions in dollars it's say in savings by taking these physical worlds creating a digital twin of them and then like making them hyper efficient in yeah. the physical world and I, I i'm just going to think about how like these virtual spaces can be used to to make the physical realm that we live in better and more efficient and more valuable and more and nicer yeah. and more sustainable and more all of these positive things yeah. like this again symbiotic bi-directional yeah. kind of virtual help in physical physical help in yeah. virtual yeah, I, I think that the, 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 there's a lot there. I think the, the, the first part to unpack is like, yeah, the d- digital twins is, is huge, right? Because the way that um, in, in architecture and city modeling, the, the way that we do these types of simulations tend to be isolated. So like you're simulating, you know, energy consumption on this point, you're simulating, um, you know, uh, drainage or like, you know, uh, water systems on this point, you're doing daylighting studies there. So like all these are like independent models that are kind of just like matched by numbers, but there isn't like one single thing that kind of just like not only shows you, because it's not just about visualizing, but that is adapting it to be the most optimized version, taking into account all the different variables that are, that are being uh, adjusted. And I think that... There, you could do that computationally without having to visualize it, but then you fall into um, into um, into the problem that a lot of these things do depend on its spatiality and its geometry, right? Because it's not like it's just like flat data, but like yeah, it has to be based on you know on the on the proportions of the model itself because it is a physical building that is going to get built. So um, in terms of efficiency, I think that's super important um, and. And, and that's kind of like how the future of cities are going to be modeled as well as thinking of them as optimized ecosystems, not just like all these different individual things, but like how the, how the whole system is operating, you know, from supply chain to like um, how, you know, how, 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 how trash is being, you know, uh, moved around the city. Like, I think there's just like so much right now that it's just like created and then, you know, it just open, open-ended systems that now, um, there, there's ways to actually connect them into into ways that are more sustainable. But but in terms of like what you create inside of a virtual world can then influence or inspire um, what goes into the physical. 
I think the very powerful thing about this, and I was uh, having, um, I had an interview yesterday with um, um, like a, a faculty member of the University of, of, um, of Universidad de Andes, where I studied architecture back in Colombia, because I'm, I'm from Colombia. Um, the, the conversation was basically leading around the point that physical architecture is, is complicated for a lot of reasons. And design, of course, and the physics of the design is, is a part of it, but it's literally just like a 30%. Everything else is just like the politics of the system. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it, and, and, and then the funding, right? So there's just like all these things that to actually get a product or to actually get a building done, it, it ends up taking, you know, uh, like a, a big building, um, you know, six, seven years, maybe 10 years if it's, if it's something even bigger because the process is just so complicated. So the amount of people that have the opportunity to create them, um, both from a developer standpoint, but also from like a, a architecture programmatic standpoint, are very small. So like people design schools, um, the amount of people that can design a school or can design a museum or can design, you know, a theater um, are, are, are like limited to, to, to very few. So, and then for them to get funded with those designs, um, again, risk averse, they have to be doing something that is similar enough to how, what has been done successfully before um, for, for it to be viable too. So the rate of evolution in the physical space is very slow because of that. Um, because it takes like an Elon Musk to come in and say we're going to break the whole system because it's not about just like, you know, changing the screen on a car. It's about really understanding um, what, the, what, the, what, what the basics of, uh, of the purpose of this product or this building is for us to like break it down into like the components that are needed today. Um, but inside of the virtual space, what we're doing is that we're allowing everyone to create because it's literally just a click of a button, especially if we start talking about AI tools, because it's no longer, you know, because um, it's, it's kind of debatable to say it's a click of a button, but then you have to understand how to, you know, how to, how to design a set of 3D Max or like AutoCAD and all these softwares that are like kind of complex in a way. Until, until all the plugins come out that are one yeah. button, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so now hopefully, you know, with AI now it's going to be, you know, a, a, almost like this, um, you know, more, more conversational and something that you can just start like adjusting and like your, your, your imagination to creation is kind of like shortened in, in that span because of it. So, you know, it doesn't take months, but it could potentially maybe only take minutes or hours to get to, to a certain design. But then you're giving the power of design to everyone not just to the architects and the developers and the people that are there. So it, be, so it, it kind, of, kind of shifts the model in which in the physical space, you have the landowners, the developers, the people that are, the, that are going to pay for it. Then they hire the architect, and then you bring in the community. Versus here, you have you know, the, the creator, the architect, the community, or, 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 even, or even the other way around. Maybe you start with the community, then you build the space for it, and then you could potentially fund it to create more things, including a building in the physical space. So shifting that model around um, is going to be super interesting because if everyone's a creator, I think that we're going to start seeing more things than more variability than, than what exists right now. I think uh, so. I'm, I, I always look for the through line in these in these discussions. We're going back to the the emergent versus hierarchical and and, and the paradigm shift in that with with communities creating and building things and letting them be built on the whims of chaos theory, really, you know, it's, it's organized, but it still happens. And then it's like, Oh, wow, that's really cool. Look what happened. But anyway, Pico, thank you so much for, for joining us, uh, from your, uh, beautiful, um, beach spot yeah. and, uh, <laughs> definitely appreciate your perspective. I think you've given for the sure. audience a lot to think about. Um, and then guys, thanks again for listening, especially the folks out on kick. 
Um, thanks to uh, Andrew for getting me pulled into that platform. And you can get us on thinkingonpaper.xyz. All of our shows are going to be hosted up, or they actually are. This one will be up very soon on Spotify, on YouTube, and uh, on our website as well. Thanks to Mark Fielding's uh, development prowess. Mark, any oh, closing yes. thoughts? Um, no. I just there's 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 a lot to to think about and speak about and a whole uh, we should yeah Pico next week we should do it again because we want to talk about <laughs> educational spaces and music venues and how the, the cultural bedrock of our societies move from a physical into a virtual world and we've barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm.